Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. Fall is here, which means it's time to pumpkin spice things up. The Just Ingredients Pumpkin Spice Protein Powder comes back on September 15th for a limited time. Made with a little spice and everything nice when it comes to ingredients. Just Ingredients Protein Powder is 100% natural with five protein sources for easy digestion and an amazing rich taste. Add it to your coffee, waffles, baked goods, or mix it with milk for a sweet fall treat. Grab your bag of pumpkin spice protein powder for 20% off at justingredients.us. Hurry, it's only on sale until September 15th through the 16th. You don't want to miss it. Once again, get 20% off of pumpkin spice protein powder for a limited time starting September 15th at justingredients.us. School of Lunch founder Hilary Boynton is the mother of five, author of the Heal Your Gut Cookbook, and the head of nutrition services at the Manzanita School in Topanga, California. After seeing the power of food as medicine and surviving a cancer diagnosis within her own family, she passionately dove into the challenge of solving school lunches where disease prevention begins. Rolling up her sleeves and becoming the lunch lady herself, She created a program implementing nutrient-dense, ancestral-based, locally-sourced, and seasonal foods. She also brought in farmers and food producers to teach students where their food comes from and why they should be eating it. The Manzanita model is now spreading across the country, has led to the launch of the School Lunch Training Academy, an intensive immersion program. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today, I am so excited to have Hillary here with us. I have been wanting to talk to her for weeks about what she does. If you follow her on Instagram, she is School of Lunch, and she makes the most incredible school lunches you have ever seen. It is bone broth, liver, organ meats, fermented vegetables, sourdough, incredible things that these kids are eating. So I want to ask her all the things about how she got started doing this. So welcome to the show today, Hillary. Thank you so much for having me. It's truly an honor to be here. It's a pleasure. Well, I love that you are revolutionizing school lunches. It is amazing. But before I dig into all of that with you, will you tell my listeners just a little bit about yourself, your background, and maybe how you became known as the lunch lady? Okay. So, I mean, you want my whole story of how it happened? Sure. That would be great. Okay, so um, my journey began back in um, the 90s in high school when I was, you know, I guess junior year or so, sophomore, junior year, my mom, Fat Free came in and my mom fell for the whole Fat Free craze and my sister fell for it, I fell for it, we were kind of like all in. And so for about 10 years of my life, I was really um, dialed into that and believed that fat was the enemy and I avoided it like the plague. And um And I just, I was an athlete at the time playing soccer and went on to play soccer at a division one school. And so it was burning my body to the brink, but not replenishing with anything that was nutrient dense. Um, But at the same time, thought that I had all the answers and I was eating really healthy and um, doing what was right for my body. And my senior year in high school, I had, um, I was told by a doctor that I had stress fractures in both my femur bones and both my tibias. And nobody said anything about diet. It was just like, oh, you need to rest. And so 
I rested for the summer before I went off to college and then continued to burn my body to the brink and replenish with, you know, just highly processed, refined carbohydrates and went on like that for, you know, throughout college. And then it wasn't really until I was 25 and got married and shortly thereafter found myself pregnant and then miscarried right away. And that was when um, I was devastated, as many of your listeners probably have experienced a miscarriage. It was like probably the hardest time of my life because I was at this point where like everybody was having babies and all my family and friends. And I went on to have, I'm like always forgetting how many I've actually had, but I think I had five miscarriages over the next three years or four miscarriages over the next three years. So I, I just couldn't hold a baby. And again, no doctor said anything to me about nutrition. It was just like, relax and try not to worry about it. And you know, take good care of yourself, the mind-body connection, which is absolutely important. And I do believe stress is um, a huge factor looking back, but I, um, but nobody talked to me about nutrition. So I sort of continued on and went into um, fertility treatments and did in vitro and ended up with becoming pregnant with triplets through in vitro. So all of a sudden it was like, you know, three years of infertility, three babies, two boys and a girl, everything was like hunky-dory. I'm like, oh, whoop, you know, Um, such relief. So the stress kind of dissipated. And then when they, when the triplets were three, I thought, oh, maybe we should go back and have one more baby and see what it's like to just have one baby. And then boom, like I thought about it and I was pregnant. So of course, like looking back, I know stress played a huge factor as well, but certainly I was depleted and, um, and this baby stuck. And then when he was six months old, I found out I was pregnant again with my fifth baby. So all of a sudden I was blessed with five babies under four, but I was completely, overwhelmed and exhausted and depleted still hadn't woken up to the power of food. I had started to kind of look into organic and wanted to feed my kids well and whatnot. But for myself, I was like replenishing with power, like balance bars, which are essentially like a, you know, basically like a quote unquote, what you think a healthy Snickers bar or whatever, and just trying to survive and coffee in the morning and wine at night. And I had, I was probably headed straight for a autoimmune disease myself. I had, um, in the middle of the night, it would take 10 seconds for my right eye to open up. And then I thought I had shingles. Like I had this tingling on both sides of my body. Nobody could really figure out what was going on with me. And then it was really my, my fourth baby. That was my, my wake up call. He was, um, you know, I think around, I don't even remember how young he was like four or five months old or six or seven. I can't really remember. It's all a blur. Um, they're all teenagers now. So um, he had was covered with eczema head to toe. And that was really where I was just like, what is going on and searching for answers and trying to do, you know, the least uh, invasive treatments and whatnot. And I tried everything you could think of. And but I still didn't really know about diet, but I was eliminating all these things. I was t- allergy testing him and allergy testing me and, you know, trying to restrict certain things. And, and I finally ended up putting him on steroid cream and Zyrtec twice a day because the family doctor friend said, this poor baby is suffering. You have to do that. So I did it and he slept through the night. I used to have to pin him to my body in the middle of the night for two hours because he was just scratching and scratching. So the steroid cream and the Zyrtec worked to an extent, but I realized if I didn't put the steroid cream on or forgot to give him the Zyrtec that it would flare again. So I knew intuitively that this was like a bandaid and it wasn't really getting to the root cause of what was going on. 
And then ironically, at this time, I had come across the work of Jamie Oliver and Alice Waters and what they were doing with school lunches. And I didn't even have any kids in school yet, but I was fascinated by it. And it sort of like opened my eyes to farm to table and farm to school and what, you know, what kids were being fed in schools. And so I decided that I was going to jump in and try and change our local public schools back in Massachusetts. And somebody introduced me to a woman who had tried previously. And she's like, I've tried, but you know, it's, it's a difficult journey, but if you're in, I'll jump back in the ring and we'll try again. And she, I went to her house and she was telling me all about this Weston Price foundation and Weston Price this and Weston Price that. And um, you know, showing me these journals and I didn't know what she was talking about at all. And I happened to tell her about my son with eczema and she said, oh, you have to put him on raw milk. And that was like, I remember just thinking like, what is raw milk? Like I'd never heard of it. And I grew up on skim milk and, and she, but at that point I was like, I will try anything. And she and her um, sister and her mom all volunteered to pick up raw dairy at this co-op for me from this Amish farmer. And they dropped it off. And sure enough, I put him on raw milk and cod liver oil. And he was healed in like a matter of a few months. So that to me was like, wow, like real food just healed my baby when no doctors had any answers for him. And, um, and I was told that he would probably have asthma and allergies and eczema. They just go hand in hand. And now he's 15, almost 16. And he's, you know, no allergies, no asthma. Uh, no eczema and he's, you know, vibrant young, young man. And so I went, you know, that opened my eyes and I ended up going to a Weston Price conference, which is, I'm sure your listeners have, many of them have heard of Dr. Price and his research, but he was a dentist in the twenties and thirties who traveled all around the world looking for, for perfect health. He had found his clients in, in Ohio back in this, back in the twenties and thirties, were having more and more dental problems and cavities and he he couldn't figure out what was going on so we kind of set out on a decade-long excursion across the globe to dive into all these little tiny pockets of communities little tribes and people who are living and kind of non-industrialized pockets of people around from the aborigines to the maasai and the maoris and the swiss alps and so he he wanted to see if he could find perfect health and people thriving free of disease and what he found was quite miraculous and these people with beautiful broad bone structure and perfectly straight teeth and no cavities and vibrant young, uh, I mean, vibrant children, you know, running around barefoot and freezing weather, but not sick and just like sturdy and strong. Um, and he studied their diets. And so I remember going to this Western Price conference and hearing Sally Fallon speak, who was the founder of the, the Western Price Foundation. And she wrote the book, Nourishing Traditions. So I was sort of becoming familiar with that. And I was sitting there with my latte you know, listening to this was all new to me. And I remember just listening to her and it, when she described his work and how, you know, here were these beautiful, vibrant, healthy people. And then one generation removed when in came the white flour and the white sugar and the processed foods in came the narrowing of the jaw and the crooked teeth and the cavities and so on and so forth. And I just remember thinking like, oh my gosh, like this makes perfect sense. And I feel like I've been duped my whole my whole life, basically. So I, I walked out of her conference and the Amish were all set up there with their raw dairy and their beautiful pastured meats and grass-fed beef and um, sprouted nuts and whatnot. I mean, it was just amazing. And I ended up telling them about my raw milk story with my son and they um, they were like, we need someone to run a co-op in Massachusetts. So I was like, I'm your lady. So I ended up running this underground 
co-op out of my home for six years uh, for the Amish because I wanted people to have access to these nutrient-dense foods, these healing foods. And the more I learned, the more I woke up and the more I just wanted to shout from the rooftops that like everybody, like food is medicine and everyone needs to know this. So I started teaching cooking classes out of my home. I went to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition to become a health counselor. And we have a daughter, one of our triplets who has epilepsy. And so my journey kind of became elevated because I thought, gosh, if I can heal my son, eczema, like maybe we can help her with her epilepsy. And we ended up venturing into the GAPS diet, which is the gut and psychology syndrome. So the connection between gut health and brain health and, and whole body health, actually. And so, and it was very daunting and very overwhelming, this kind of two-year protocol of healing and sealing your gut. And a woman in my cooking class was also on the GAPS diet and also overwhelmed. And she happened to be a photographer and she said, we should write a, a cookbook about this. And I said, we should. And so we pitched it to a publishing company, Chelsea Green, and they said, yes. And, you know, we just spent the next summer diving in and really we, we wanted to design a book that people could see the beauty of real food and kind of mamas could like lie in bed at night and look through this book and be like, wow, I can eat beautiful, nutritious foods and, um, and delicious foods and still heal and heal my family. And so we wanted to really empower people to take control of their own health. And so it was really ironic that when I handed over the cookbook to the publisher to be edited, my husband right then was diagnosed with throat cancer. So then our journey got elevated even further. And I knew the power of the healthy immune system and rebalancing the microbiome and all that. So anyway, long story short, our, our cancer journey ended up taking us from Massachusetts to Los Angeles to get out of stress, get some sunshine, a more alternative way of healing. And the moment we landed in California, my book was released that week. And all of a sudden I went from this small little tiny colonial town just outside of Boston to this huge, like, you know, I was like this little fish in a big sea of people from around the world. I almost felt like Dr. Price and that I had like access to people from all over the world. And I was going around with my book and talking to people, especially elders. And when I met these people, they'd say, you know, this is the way we ate growing up and we were never sick. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing um, we're seeing it now in our children and our grandchildren, and we don't quite know what to do um, because certainly they're trying to hold on to their traditional, you know, culture, but it's, it's hard once you're here in America, there's just so much that's designed to kind of trip you up around every corner with convenience and and processed foods. And so we ended up kind of bopping around Los Angeles. And then we took a, like, literally it's my husband's first day out of bed. We drove to Topanga, California, which is in between the mountains of Malibu and Santa Monica. And somebody told us about this tiny little nature-based school that had just started. And I should say, I worked really hard to change the school lunches back in Massachusetts and went kind of beat my head against the wall for a long time. So I realized that was like, um, you know, I have many thoughts about that and how how frustrating it can be. But so here I was, I landed on the doorstep of this little nature-based school and the chef there was like, yeah, well, the kids just caught their own, you know, fish today and we cooked it up for lunch. And I showed her my cookbook and she was just like, I'd really love to roast a whole goat and serve it to the kids. And I just like, my eyes just lit up. I'm like, oh my gosh, like these are my people. They get it. They understand the power of deep nutrition and um, and nutrient density. And so we signed our kids up and we ended up with the triplets at this at this school and it was year two. So there were only like 30 kids and then there were 60 kids. And then as the school grew, 
the lunch program became too overwhelming for this one chef. So they outsourced the food. And that's when I was like, wait a minute, like, this is not what I signed up for. You know, this doesn't align with the values of a nature-based school. We need, you know, natural foods to go along with it. So I kind of worked my way in with the head of school to change things. And I started out, he gave me the job as the, the snack coordinator and the consultant to the lunch lady. And, um, and so I was like, okay, great. You know, and I met with the lunch lady and I gave her my cookbook and I gave her nourishing traditions. And the cookbook that I ended up writing is called the Heal Your Gut Cookbook, um, based on the work of Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride and the GAPS diet. And um, so I gave her those and I'm like, we can make bone broths and fermented foods and we can even put organ meats and like the bolognese sauce and all this stuff. And she was all smiles and like, yeah, this all sounds so great. And so the next day the head of school pulled me over and was just like, you can't talk to her ever again. And I was <laughs> like, what, what happened? She was all into it. And he's like, yeah, she wants to quit. And I was like, but she was smiling and said, yes. And he's like, yeah, on the outside, she was all happy, but on the inside, she was freaking out. So he's like, just leave her alone and just do your snack program. So that's when I just went all in and I just went to the farmer's markets and started like talking to the farmers and getting whatever I could get access to and making deals with them and taking surplus and bringing it back to the schools and making it fun and doing beet kvass shots with the kids or making, you know, with a bumper crop of zucchini, I'd make zoodles or zucchini soup and show what could be done and make these little signs that said, you know, from like tomato soup to, um, you know, questioning what are like chestnuts that I would find, anything interesting that I could find, I would I would show the kids. And soon enough, the, the snack program sort of outshined the lunch program. I had kids doing like daffies off the stairs saying like, what's for snack, Miss Hillary? And, and so by Christmas time, the head of school, you know, was talking to me about his health journey and stuff. And I said, well, you know my story. Like, what are we waiting for? These kids need deep nutrition now, like let's not wait because it was like this really amazing snack and then kind of standard American diet lunch. So he handed me the keys to the kitchen. He said, if I give you the keys to the kitchen, are you ready to do this? And then there, there I was like all smiles on the outside and freaking out <laughs> on the inside because here I am just a home cook. I've only ever cooked really for my family of seven and in doing a snack was overwhelming to me. So all of a sudden I was going to be serving lunches to uh, snacks and lunches to around 110 kids. And so um, it's been, you know, at that moment, I just stepped in, I had a week to kind of get the kitchen ready and hire some people to help me get this thing going. And I just started. And now we're in our sixth year. And we really believe that we have this amazing, probably, I would say the we humbly say, I think it's the best school lunch program in the country, because it's so focused on nutrient density. And we're very lucky with what we can do. Um, but we've been able to show, I thought I can get my foot in the door and I can show what's possible. And then now we have School of Lunch, our company where we train lunch leaders or soul chefs to, um, the mission is really to train as many soul chefs as we can to sweep across the nation and disrupt the trend of chronic illness in this next generation of kids. And you don't have to aspire to be a lunch lady. You can be a home cook. You can want to go into a YMCA or a restaurant, whatever you want to do. If you're hungry for this information and want to take control of your health and help spread the word and change your community and your family, then, you know, we'll, we'll train you. We'll give you all of our knowledge and information. So, well, so that's the long and the short of it. I don't know if that was, that is an amazing, more than you expected, but no, that's an amazing story. And you guys, if you follow her on Instagram, I am amazed at the lunches that you make because we're not just talking fruits and vegetables. We're talking bone broth, organ meats, fermented foods. 
and these kids get involved, right? It looks like they're mm-hmm. helping with some of the things. So are you trying to get them involved so that they can learn it to uh, use, you know, throughout yeah. their life? Yeah, I really feel like it's a bottom-up approach. So we make it really fun, really engaging, very exciting. We educate them every day. So I, I really feel like at this point in humanity, you can't just drop off healthy food and say like, have at it. The kids are too far gone down the you know processed food side of things and their taste buds are all hijacked and whatnot. So you need this trusted resource, this trusted friendly face to show up day after day after day and encourage you and smile and educate you and talk to you about, you know, trying new things and making it, you know, just wild and crazy and fun and delicious, right? So they try new things. And so the younger we can get them, the better. Last year was the first year that we got kindergarten. Um, So we're K through 12 now, used to be four through 12. And I just see these little kids light up and they, you know, the first couple of weeks are a little bit like their eyes are kind of like, what is this? And I, you know, where are the chicken nuggets and whatnot. And then, but sure enough, after a couple of weeks, it becomes normalized. This is what everybody's eating. This is what the staff is eating. All the children are pretty much for the most part taking part in this. And so it becomes a, a way of life. And then they're going home and they're talking to their parents about bone broth and sourdough bread. And can you make fermented carrots, mom, or whatever it is? And then the parents are like, wait a minute, what's going on at this school? And we invite the parents in once a month. We have a PAL program, which is parents at lunch. So we um, invite farmers in and we expose the parents to the farmers and the food and the community and, you know, sitting down and breaking bread together and the joy of witnessing you know, what, what's so innate in all of us, right? Like we've just lost sight of it. So it's just like this kind of feeling of comfort, right? Where you just know this is, this is right. And it feels so good. So we had two moms of first graders come to our training academy this summer because they said, I don't know what you're doing, but my kid won't eat anything at home that I make, but they'll eat the school food. So we want to learn. So sure enough, they came and, and learned and completely transformed their health and um, their knowledge base. And they're just implementing all these new things. And it's so liberating once you, that's how I felt when I was, you know, had my eyes opened by the the Weston Price Foundation was just like, wow, people were thriving free of disease and eating these delicious, satisfying foods, right? Yeah, that's amazing. So I have two questions about these kids because whenever I show just healthier eating, healthier cooking, I always get these DMs from moms like, oh, my kids are such picky eaters. They would never eat this. And so if they haven't grown up in this type of food and they come to you as kindergartners, first graders, are they picky? Will they not eat it? Like, how do you get over that pickiness? Sometimes there are kids. And so we've, we've kind of figured out. So like, you know, this is where the tending, this is where me as a mom is just like, okay, I'm watching all these kids as if they were my own. And this is where it takes that dedicated staff to really be watching because you don't want a kid to get to the end of the line, have, you know, a carrot stick on their plate or just rice. And then they run off and that's all they eat. And then they crash and their parents like my kid's starving. I mean, we had plenty of, you know, figuring this out over the last five, five and a half years. But um, so at the end of the line, I'm right there to say, you know, okay, hold on a second. Let's like, make sure you get some protein and some good fats or whatever. You have to have something on your plate. Why don't you try a bite of this? Or at the end of the line, we'll always have like roast beef and ham that we, we roast in-house and ham and salamis and raw cheese and maybe some sprouted trail mix, something for them to be satiated. Um, I try not to 
go back to the kitchen and grab a piece of sourdough bread with butter. Although I, you know, I have no problem with that, but I'll have like, you know, 30 kindergartners or K through one standing at the kitchen door, like, can I have a piece of bread, Miss Hillary? And so then they like forget about their lunch and they're all over there. But it's, it's really that tending and having our eyes open and really working on these kids. And I've had parents, several parents come up to me and just say, thank you so much. Like, we really appreciate this because at this point too, it takes a village. Like, it's very hard as a mom to manage all that we're juggling right now. And on top of it, all the screens, like I have five teenagers and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like this is insane. Like, I don't think we were meant to hold this much on our shoulders. And so this has to become not only a family affair again, like spouses need to be involved. The kids need to be involved, but the schools need to be involved and communities like around every corner from a sporting event to a ballet recital to whatever, there's somebody right there ready to give your kids candy and soda and processed junk. True. So it's like, we have to decide to know better so we can do better and we have to hold the line. And so that's the way that it's been become normalized. But if we keep sort of, it's like, you get it here, but you don't get it there. It's really hard. It's challenging. It is hard. It does take a whole village. So I'm curious at the school, if you guys find that you have less illnesses with the kids, if the behavior in the classrooms are better after lunch with the kids, because I know a lot of teachers will complain about kids either being exhausted after lunch, which is probably the sugar crash, Mm -hmm. or kids being really hyperactive because of all the sugar um, that they've had. So do you find that they're healthier, that they're better behaved Yeah. And even the head of school will say that and the teachers as well. I mean, they're at this nature-based school, so they're outside for much of the day, which is also huge, but they we're feeding them these like real nutrient dense foods. So they're fully satisfied. We don't use any refined sweeteners. We might use a tiny bit of raw honey here and there, but like rarely. So it's like, they're not getting any sugar. They're getting a balanced meal. We have a video on our website that is about 12 minutes long of kind of my journey as the lunch lady under school of lunch. If you go under the tab school, it's this little video and this little sixth grade boy unprompted in the video said he was like putting his hand up and down like a wave saying, I used to feel like this all day long. And now I just feel like this straight, you know, straight line, straight across. And I was just like, bam, that's like my five second commercial right there. That's all I needed to hear is that they're, they're balanced. They have this steady flow of energy. And we've even done a, um, we got a grant to do a citizen science project where we put blood glucose monitors on kids and parents and teachers and chefs as an empowerment tool to show how the food we eat affects our blood glucose levels. So how we avoid those spikes and the crashes. And we wanted to show that the way we're feeding kids at school is not spiking their blood glucose levels. And as a chef, especially if you're feeding a child every day or a parent, and you know what you're feeding them is spiking their blood glucose levels, then in good conscience, you can't feed them that, you know, you're basically driving them directly into the medical system. So it's really empowering when you understand the power of the food and what you're giving these kids, I mean, we feed them, we have their stomachs for six hours a day. So a third of their meals come from us. So that disruption of illness and, and that feeling, like, I think most people don't understand what it feels like to feel good. They don't know what, what it feels like to feel good. So when you have that feeling on a cellular level and you're a kid and you're bouncing and running and doing the things that you're supposed to be doing and studying or whatever, you, you feel it and it becomes normal right instead of this like 
it's normal to feel crashy and, you know, like you can't focus and can't pay attention. That's, that's not what we want. But so we know, we know the work we're doing is so important because if you have a child from kindergarten through 12th grade, the, the impact you can make on their future is incredible. And we want these kids graduating from high school and pursuing their dreams. And instead what, you know, at, that's what we want. But instead I feel like in society, the 20 somethings are really like, it's a population of kids that are really struggling to figure out their health. I see it all the time. And they're, they're trying to figure out their gut health and what's going on with autoimmune diseases and whatnot, instead of out pursuing their dreams and having fun and, you know, like a 20 something should be doing. So it's really, it's really, really valuable. The power of food alone. It really is. I can't even imagine a ki- starting in kindergarten, going all the way through 12th grade of these amazing lunches. You guys really go check out her Instagram page and look at these lunches. Some days I'm like, Oh my goodness, that looks amazing. I mean, Brussels sprouts. And like I said, fermented food and real long fermented sourdough and lamb the other day I saw you guys were working with and it's just incredible. So when I first found out about you, I was like, dang, that is something I want to do because I've been in our cafeteria to volunteer and I see what they serve them. And it's a lot of artificial dyes, a lot of artificial sweeteners, processed food, um, inflammatory oils, you know, all sorts of things. But my first question was, where do I even start? Because trying, we're in a big school district. So where does someone start if they want to try to do something like you're doing? Yeah. Well, so when I was in Massachusetts, the first thing I did was I went to the school nurse and asked for the ingredient list on all the foods. So that's kind of fun when you can sit there and look at it with the nurse and be like, huh, really? (laughs) Because they have to know deep down, like this is not normal and these are not health promoting ingredients at all. So you can start there and then start to to make noise um, to the superintendent or those who are in charge. But I will say it's very frustrating because the system is, it's it's a giant system and it's doing what it's designed to do. And people are not willing to make the investment of time and energy into making these big changes that need to happen. I mean, we had a dad come through our school kitchen the other day, actually a group of parents came to see what we were up to. They're really interested in implementing this at their school. And his first question was just like, wow, this is incredible. Like I, but how, how can we afford this? What's the cost? Well, that was my next question to you. Well, I literally looked at him in the eyes and it was just like, the cost is your children's health. And it was like silence kind of like dropped the mic because it's like, at what point are we going to realize that the cost is greater than financial, you know, do- dollars over here. This is like, this is, these are our children. These are our most precious resource. And we're literally driving them into the medical system. So you think about cost, you know, the, the amount of burden on our medical system is, is huge. And it's designed, it's just like, you know, we're feeding into that. And so we have to wake up. And I have had many heads of school say, oh, I totally get it. Like, we feed our kids this way at home and, but it's just too, it's too hard. There's too many things and we have food service contracts. And so it really is going to take that head of school or the head of food service to have a vested interest in saying, this is a priority for our school and we're going to figure it out. It's not going to be easy. And we have some challenges ahead of us, but we have to figure it out. It's not and they're an option. And they're not going to figure it out unless there is some parent noise. 
and some parent support and parents wanting this change. And so that's where I think all you listeners can make a difference is start by emailing, talking, calling the school nurses, the, like you said, the head of the school, the head of the uh, food department, you know, things like that. Yeah. But I am curious. So do your kids at your school pay for the school lunches every day? They used to have to pay in the very beginning. And then it was like, you know, some kids could afford it, some kids couldn't. And they they adjusted based on financial aid and whatnot. But then it be, kind of became this dividing line. It didn't feel right. And so I think it was year two or three, they rolled it into the tuition. So again, we're at a private oh, school, okay. so it's easier to accomplish this. And this is where I was like, you know, I, I got my foot in the door here and I'm, and all kids deserve, you know, good nutrition. So it's like, I'm just going to show what's possible. So yes, it's included in the tuition so that everybody has access to it um, and including the staff. So that's really the way to go. I believe if, um, if you can, if it's a private school. Yeah. So that so, works for private schools. That's a little trickier in public schools. Right. With the public school, it's really hard because some of these kids, this is their main these are their main meals. Some of them are eating breakfast and lunch. And so if you think about that and how, um, you know, the injustice of that and what they're given as quote unquote food is, is so unfair. Right. So it's like, I, I believe like I was kind of like, okay, after a decade of trying to change that system, I'm like, I'm going to let that ship sink and we're going to go over here and we're going to build a new boat. And I'm going to make a joyful noise because the other thing is these parents that, you know, parents who are listening, it's exhausting because you feel like you're making a little bit of in, in roads. And then like, it's like two steps forward, like 10 steps back, you know? And so it's really exhausting. Then your kids graduate and you're like, I'm done, you know, or whatever. So it's like, it's, or like with, with our school in Massachusetts, they had an amazing, we finally got this great food service director in there. And he was all about, you know, taking our suggestions and making food from scratch. And then he, his wife had a baby and he moved and then they just hired like some replacement that we had to start back at ground zero as parents. And it was really, really very frustrating. And also, you know, three is, this was a a nice suburb of Boston and three brand new elementary schools were built with only reheating kitchens. So there's no, there's no like, you know, way to cook anything. Like, like where, where are we going with our world? It's all about like convenience and reheating. And that's all, you know, quick, 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 right. get the kids in and out. And it's, so it's like, it's really like people have to start thinking with their hearts, you know, and that this, this is possible. And, you know, we do have a relationship with a, a food service director up in San Luis Obispo and a few hours north of us in California, who's feeding 7,500 children in a public school system every day, several schools. And she is doing amazing work. She's super dedicated to diving into the local food system and things you think are impossible are possible, but she's crunching numbers and working the system and working with the food service contracts and, you know, changing out what she can. And she's aware of the you know, the processed foods and what she doesn't want to allow in. And so, but it takes somebody like that, who's going to really work hard at it. And yeah, that's incredible. So I was just going to ask you, you have the school of lunch training program. Mm -hmm. So are you seeing success with this in other schools like that San Luis Obispo one? Yeah, actually, she wants to do a um, professional development like weekend with all of her chefs to get them inspired about, you know, because the education is so key. I mean, I think most people become who become chefs um, value really these beautiful ingredients, right? And using the whole animal and the traditional methods of cooking from, you know, soaking and sprouting your grains and your nuts and making sourdough. Like it's all, it's very like, it's a beautiful work of art basically, right? So when your hands are tied and you have to use ingredients that aren't that 
fun and exciting or our totally process it's not that fun as a chef so um hopefully we'll get her staff to come down but yeah we had several school lunch uh chefs come this year and just with our one week training we will affect over 250,000 school lunches across um this next year and from chefs across the country Good so my, my goal is really to have a hub I really want to have a training hub where we can continue to do these training academies more often so it's not just like a one once a year and I've just just I'm in transition of pulling myself out of the kitchen this fall for the first time so that I can scale this up because I know you know with me in that kitchen working every day there's just and being a mother of five there's no time right so I've been able to hand it off and now I'm out and we're you know able to to consult and really help other schools dive into how they can problem solve and figure this out good for you you know that 250,000 is going to increase to a million to five hey. million and yeah. so if listeners are listening to this and they want to get involved they can join the School of Lunch training program, correct? Yes. Yeah. If you go on our website, schooloflunch.com and under training academy, again, there's a little six minute video that shows about the training academy. And it's really like, it's quite different. Like I think some people think they're going to come and get like knife skills and how you're going to make X, Y, and Z to feed the children. But it's really more than that. It's a, um, you know, working at this nature-based school really brought the nature connection piece to me where I think I was missing that I had the food piece, but I didn't really understand the nature connection. And I think the biggest takeaway for me is that when we recognize that we are nature, that we're no different than anything in nature, we're, we're a part of it. And we can step back, you know, just as we give reverence to, you know, a hummingbird or a beautiful flower, we look at things in nature just in awe of like how perfect it's designed, right? But what if we could turn that mirror on us and look at ourselves with that same reverence and same awe and same respect and if we could unzip ourselves and see how incredibly miraculous we are and how we are designed to work when we support ourselves properly and so just as you wouldn't pour gasoline around a redwood tree or your flower pot and expect those you know plants or trees to survive why do we do that to ourselves and so we really have to be reconnected with all that surrounds us and lives within us you know with our microbiomes there's trillions of bacteria fungi yeasts parasites viruses all living within us i mean we're more you know those bacteria cells than we are actually human cells so to be kind of in this dance and flow with all that surrounds us and lives within us and feel, and recognize that we're a part of that all that system um, is really liberating. So with the training academy, we submerge people in nature right in the mountains of Topanga. And we're taking them, you know, reconnecting them to the land, to each other, to their farmers. We go to the farmers markets, we look the farmers in the eye, we ask the questions, we develop, you know, those relationships, teach people how to how to ask the questions and see the beauty and actually knowing your farmer and being able to shake hands with them or give them a hug and and appreciate the work they're doing and then take that back and cook it up and the beauty I mean one of the elders that I interviewed when my book first came out my French elder Rose said to me she said Hillary remember simplicity is gourmet mm. and it really that has stuck with me I'm like that will be on my hub someday because it's so true it's like nothing we're doing is very complicated it's all, you know, with, with real food, it doesn't take much of anything to make it beautiful and delicious. Oh, I right? love we that just have saying. to properly prepare it. Like our ancestors knew that sometimes you have to do more work outside of the body so that it's more digestible 
and easier to assimilate the nutrition inside the body, right? So it's where we ferment things and we soak things. And um, there's a pro there's a a wisdom that has been sort of lost, right? That lineage of ancestral wisdom that's that was just passed down from generation to generation has been lost. And so I feel like we are the generation that has to step in and become the quote unquote ancestors in training and decide to step into the work and relearn what was once common and then implement it and pass it on to the next generations. Because if we keep going the way we're going, you know, we have 54% of our kids with a chronic illness. And if we just keep going the way we're going, pretty soon 100% of them will be sick. And so it's it's really a moment where I think it's exciting. It's an exciting time to be alive, especially with what's happened over the last couple of years. People are waking up to the fact that they have an immune system and they have some control over their health. And wow, isn't it amazing to you know, find your local food system. And it, and it really is, um, that's why I say, we make a joyful noise and we're just like over here doing our thing. And people are like, wow, I want to be a part of that. You know, or you see your kids respond and you're like, I want to know what they're doing. So I, that's how we make the change, I think. I love that your message is spreading because as you're showing it on Instagram and podcasts and things like that, people are getting more and more aware of what is actually possible at a school. And I love that you teach that you're teaching these kids about fermenting the food and why that's important and why we soak the food and why that's important. And, you know, and I love that you're teaching yeah. the kids that and in return, you're teaching the parents that as well. But I right. do have a question about pushback because mm -hmm. daily on Instagram, I get people that are like, this all doesn't matter. You can eat whatever you want. Food is food. It doesn't matter. Don't say food is medicine. It's not medicine. So do you get that negative pushback or for the most part, are people excited and willing to try this? Yeah. I mean, I, I, my million dollar question has always been like, how do you wake people up before the wake up call? And I realized that I think it's human nature to wait for the wake up call. So people don't necessarily believe it or see it until they have to, you know, there's so many people like I had, I had bad skin when I was growing up and I'm just like, how can I a person eat like McDonald's and all this junk? And they have like the most perfect skin, you know? So it's like, but disease goes or dis-ease goes to kind of the, the weakest link, right? In your body. So people, things show up in different places. And so I feel like it's not if it's when, like it will show up. I mean, just if you think of like, so the head of school, the very first year I was there, we went on a camping trip up in the Redwoods and he circled everybody up at the end of the week. And he said, I just want to give reverence to these beautiful Redwoods they are just like miraculous. And at the base of every Redwood are billions of microbes keeping it healthy and alive. And that's when I, I looked at him and in my head, I was like, you are a Redwood. You're no different. You have billions of microbes at the base of you, keeping you healthy and alive. And then he said, I want all you kids to go out and like pick up all the micro trash around. And so we can leave this place cleaner than when we found it. And I'm like, micro trash, like, what is that? And, you know, sure enough, the kids all go out and they come back and there's this like mound of little pieces of trash that didn't belong out there in nature. But if, if we had left that, probably the next group in wouldn't have noticed. And if they left their micro trash, then the next group in probably wouldn't have noticed. But 10 groups in, there's going to be trash everywhere and it's going to be really gross and nobody wants to go there to camp. And it's like, that's when the imbalance comes in and the dis-ease, right? And that's just like us humans. Like if you have a soda or if you have processed junk food or McDonald's like one time, sure enough, you're going to be fine. But day after day after day after day, that dis-ease, that imbalance is going to show up and it's going to manifest wherever, you know, your weakest link is. And so really setting these kids up is goes deeper than just 
their own health. It's about setting up the health of the next generation because, and the generations to come, because these kids, when they realize that they have power over that, I mean, it's hard, you know, I have three 18 year olds that are like, you know, invincible. Right. So, but when a baby goes through that birth canal is when they swallow a big gulp of bacteria and whatnot, that pop is the first inoculation of their microbiome. And so when we have healthy kids with a balanced microbiome and they're passing that on to the next generation and they're aware of the nature connection and the self-care and the good foods and the bone broth. I mean, nobody talked to me when I had triplets. Nobody was like, people were bringing me insure at the end of my pregnancy. Like here, just get the calories. I'm drinking that at the middle of the night. I had no idea. But when we start to know better and can really think like what's in this, like your, your podcast, Just Ingredients, like what are the ingredients like are they real so when the pushback comes it's like you know and and you have to kind of let go a little bit because everyone has their own their own journey it's like you know you kind of sometimes I think have to get that frying pan to the head which I believe COVID was a big gift in a way because it's like humanity has been delivered a collective frying pan to the head it's like we're we're not balanced here and we're sick and we've got to turn the ship around so you know let's wake up guys and let's try and and but it's really exciting like I said because just as we shut down things like overnight we proved right there that we can change things overnight so it doesn't have to take decades you know let's do this. Like, that's where I feel like, let's go, you know, the time is now. And it, it is kind of like urgent. <laughs> so, so it sounds know. like you don't have much pushback from parents though at your school. No, because they see, and I say to, to heads of school, I said, this is, and, and we're working with a food service company. I'm like, this is foolproof. It's fail proof because it works. There's no way it won't work because it's real. It's what right. human bodies are designed to eat. We don't eliminate anything, but we properly prepare everything. So we're we're talking to the kids, you know, we're not, I see kids so confused every day of like, you know, I'm not eating animals because I want to save the planet or I'm going pescatarian. And that's where you, you know, you have to have that conversation with them. Well, why are you doing that? And do you recognize what you're giving up for your own health when you do that to try and save the planet? And are you really saving the planet? And the biggest thing for me and with kids is that death, you can't get out of this unscathed. Death is a part of life. And in all agriculture, there's massive amounts of death. I mean, you can be growing avocado trees and you're going to have thousands of dead gophers. And um, actually Apricot Lane Farm, we work directly with them, the biggest little farm. If, you're, if your listeners mm. haven't seen that movie, please go see it. It's beautiful movie about a small uh a family that started a small farm and turned it from basically nothing into like this beautiful biodynamic regenerative farm and but it really does talk about and that we had part of our training academy there too but it's like you show how death is a part of this closed loop system and when you can just honor that and honor the animals that lost their lives for our nourishment and step into that and own it and give reverence and have gratitude for that, then it is liberating again, because we too will die and go back to the earth and go back to the soil. And so it really is quite beautiful when you can look at it that way. Yeah, that's and a, so, that's a know, great way to look to at work. it. So I love that you involve local farmers. And so if someone wants to start with this, they can reach out to their local farmers possibly and see what they can donate or ask for surplus, things like that. Yeah, when I first started, it was amazing. Like any 
farmer that I told what I was up to and what I was doing, they really worked with me. They were like, here, just take this. Like we have a crate of lettuce. We're not going to take it all the way back to the farm. It's going to wilt and go bad. We can't sell it. You take it. Or I can give you a great deal on this. We have tomatoes coming out of our ears right now, you know? So they really worked with me. And, and now, you know, five years later, we're able to really support them. And, um, and, and with our Instagram and with what we, you know, talking to the parents, it's like, it comes back to them tenfold. So if you really scratch the, the surface in your area, I believe there are great people doing great things everywhere. And that's, again, where the Weston Price Foundation comes in as a great um, resource and that they have chapter leaders all around the world where, so if you move to Texas or you move to Maine, you can look up a Weston A. Price chapter leader and call on them and they they have to have a, a list of local resources so you can find your good eggs or your pastured chicken or, or whatnot. So it's just about kind of starting, just starting, you right. know, like it's, you don't have to do everything all at once. That's really overwhelming. So it's like maybe one week you're just going to like take a few things out of your pantry that don't belong there, or you're going to find your local eggs and that's all you're going to do, you know, and you just start. I love that it's just to start because sometimes it's also just having the thought because I was at a farm last summer and it was a watermelon farm and they showed me the excess of watermelons and it was huge. And I asked like, do you donate to a food bank? And they're like, yes, but they can't accept anymore. And I'm like, do you donate to homeless shelters? Yes, but we can't, we've donated as much as we can. Thinking back, I should have been like, what about the elementary schools or any of the schools? Let's donate those watermelons to the schools rather than just letting them rot. I mean, watermelons better than the jello they're going to get, you know? So, right. And there's so much food waste. I think it's like a third of our, it's like, if you go to the grocery store and on your way out, you drop one bag of groceries on the ground. And like, that's like the level of waste. Like if every person just left behind one bag of groceries, it's insane how much food we waste. And that's another thing we do in our school kitchen is that we're in no waste kitchen and we're composting everything. So the kids, um, the kids all collect the compost at the end of the week and they have a farm at the school. And so we, we save all of our veggie scraps and use them for the bone broths. We use all of our bones from roasted chickens to make the bone broths. Again, we use the whole animal. So we're using like chicken feet and chicken heads if we can get them, pig's ears to go in the beans, like anything to provide extra nutrient density and really utilize, um, you know, everything that, that we can and not waste it. So we have like one of our chefs last year was like, oh my gosh, I used to work in a restaurant and there were like 10 bags of trash every day. And we have like a quarter of a bag of trash, barely. Like we just have very minimal waste and and certainly all of our food, um, gets you know eaten or composted and we work with the kids about that too like don't you know we just got smaller plates for the little kids this year because they of course want to like try everything but it's like all of a sudden they have this huge plate of food that you know they're not going to be able to consume it all so talking to them about you can come back for seconds just you know try this first and then come back if you're still hungry that's incredible I love that you're composting I want to come check this out I really want to come visit your school because I am so intrigued by this so we might have to make that happen. We would love it. We say that this, I mean, this school is really, it's been such a gift because they basically kind of handed over the keys to the kitchen and let me, let me free or set me free. And so it's sort of like this lab where we're just kind of figuring everything out and trying new things. And so it's, we were able to bring people in. We've brought interns in like registered dietitians who recognize that a lot of the stuff that they're learning in school is not really 
how, what they want to implement with their clients. So they come and do an internship with us for several weeks and learn about, you know, making these nutrient dense foods and how they can then go forward into their careers and, um, and, you know, and educate in a new way, like a real food registered dietitian. Those are kind of becoming really popular, which is awesome because that can also be, um, that, you know, the barrier to entry into a, into a public school is that the, the people that are making the decisions don't have really the proper education behind right food in general. Right. So thank you so much for everything that you are doing. You are an example to so many, and I know school lunches are going to, like I said, increase the numbers that you're changing for a healthier lunch. So thank you so much. If my listeners are listening to this and motivated to go do something, what is a little tip that you would give them of where to start? Gosh, well, I would say the best thing they can do is get out in nature and have a little quiet time. Actually, at school, the kids have sit spots where they sit for at least 20 minutes, you know, several times a week in nature and just sort of have that like internal dialogue with yourself about, you know, what you want out of this life and this lifetime and how you want to live and how you want to kind of live out your life and what you can do. It can be really overwhelming to think about changing big systems. And so it starts really with you. And ultimately you only have control over yourself and your own health. And so when you decide to take control of your own health, then you become the model for, for other people. And then you start to implement with your, your family and your community. But I think it starts with just that, that dis- decision, right? To try to know better so that you can do better and start to ask questions. And, and because it, there's a lot of also, it's a, hard, it's a hard road when you kind of have these, this wake up call to real food and food as medicine. And you get these people that push back, whether it's family members, a lot of families are, um, you know, destroyed over this literally, because it's like, you know, well, I eat this and I'm fine. And why do you have to feed this? And I, you, they feel right. shamed and whatnot. So it's really about, you know, just kind of leaving, leveling up and raising that collective consciousness in a, in a very um, humbling way. Like we've all kind of gone down the wrong path, right. In one way or another. And we just have to decide to open our eyes and really see it's painful because it's, and it's overwhelming, but see those little things, those little changes that you can make in your own life that will, you know, ultimately ripple out. And then it's not so overwhelming. Yeah. And tap it. into your heart space, you know, lead with your heart. I tell my kids, my grandfather said, you don't got to have anything, but you got to have heart. So it's like, get it out of our heads and into our hearts and, um, and just lead with your heart and do, you know, do what you know is right. I love that. Thank you so much. So if my listeners want to learn more about you, your training program, follow you, tell them where they can find you. Yes, yeah, schooloflunch.com is our website and School of Lunch on Instagram. So if you go to our website and go to Training Academy or contact us, you can contact us there. Um, we consult with people you know, all across the country and we have our Training Academy. We're really trying to implement um, academies that will happen across the year instead of just once a year. So um, you know, we're, we're open and, and really charged up. You can tell we have a lot of energy around making the change. And again, making the joyful noise. If you want to be a part of it, um, reach out and, and, uh, let us know you're interested. And we jump on phone calls all the time and just talk to people about where they are and what their goals are and how we can help support them make the changes. That is so great. Thank you so much for all the work that you are doing. It is going to make a difference. Oh, thank you so much for having me. 
So I end every podcast by asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient to life. What would you say it is? Mm, Well, like I just said, I think love. When you put love into your actions, it's it's so powerful, right? And that's why I think it it's fail-proof. It works because the kids, especially, they feel the love, right? They know the there's intention behind all of this from the farmers who are growing and raising the food to the chefs that are preparing it to those of us who are lovingly, you know, tending to them every day. They, they feel that love on a cellular level. And so, you know, think of the kids that are just being given whatever they know that there's, you know, that's, there's a lack of love and intention put into that. Not to say that the lunch ladies are not giving love. I think there's a lot of love from a lot of lunch Mm -hmm. ladies doing the best they can with the resources they have. But if we can start to go deeper into that and think of how things land on other people, and really it's a time of great divisiveness. So leading again with your heart and thinking of love as a magical ingredient that you can kind of just sprinkle, just let things kind of roll off if you don't need to grab onto them and um, and know that everybody's struggling to some degree. So meet people where they are. And, you know, when I was trying to change the school lunches back East, I think I came in like, you know, a bowl in a China shop, just like, we gotta change this, but that puts people on their heels and, you know, then nothing really happens. But if you come at things with like a very loving, open, let's try and figure this out together, you know, for the betterment of humanity and this, you know, healthy next generation of kids. And I think that's the magic right there. That is the magic to come together and love for the betterment of the kids. I love that so much. Thank you again, Hillary, for being here for all the amazing work that you are doing. And like I said, I really want to come out and Yes. Tour the school and things like that. Julie, your friend wants to come. So from Redmond Real Salt, we love her so much. And um, you guys should just jump on a plane and come visit. We're going to. It'll be fun. Then I'll show it. I'll show all these listeners your school. So that That would be be amazing. That'd be amazing. We'd love it. All right. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.